An industry under pressure. Innovation in its finest hour. This is the Oil & Gas Technology Podcast, where sharp minds reveal the brilliance and sheer determination turning great ideas into new realities. Hear about how it happens in real life with your host, Michael O'Sullivan. The views of the host are expressly his own and should not be construed as the views of any other corporation, consortium, governing body, or interplanetary federation. Hey everyone, welcome back to another crowd-pleasing episode of the Oil & Gas Tech Podcast brought to you by the good people at Cognite right here on the Oil & Gas Global Network. We do love our sponsors here at OGGN because without them, there is no us. So here's a quick message. This is what our friends at Cognite want you to know. And we're going to get this out now. And, and, and if you want to know more about them, all you got to do is go to their website, Cognite.com. They're doing some great stuff. And this is what they want you to know. They want you to know, or they, this, is what, this is what they want you to think. Imagine your company fully digitalized, transformed, and sustainable. Cognite helps you make data do more for faster, safer, more sustainable industrial operations. And of course, you can learn more at Cognite.com. I'll mention them again at the end. So if you're still listening, when we get to that part, you'll hear, you'll, you'll hear about them again. My guest today is, I got a fantastic, we just actually, we almost did the whole show already. We're sitting here at the table. I have a guest from a company called Gyro Data, and it is Mr. I'm going to get this right. Adrian Ledros. Is that right? Yeah, so, so thank you for being here. I also have kind of, we have kind of a side guest today. So we have, we have Stephen Forrester, who some of you may know from the OGGN. He's the writer guy. He's the one who puts out all those really cool blog stories. And he is somehow connected to this whole thing. He's sitting over the end of the table. He doesn't have a microphone, but if you hear him chiming in from the from the distance, <laughs> we'll we'll uh, we'll let him talk if he wants to. So before we get to our main discussion, I do need to mention a couple other things. One is I keep trying to think of a create new creative ways to say please go leave us some reviews. We really the reviews are really important. It helps us know what you like, what you don't like, and it's okay to leave a review if you don't. If you can leave a bad review, just make sure that you tell us what you think we should be doing differently. And if you do like what we're doing, then leave a good review, and then other people will know that this is worth their time. But it's really important, and we need those. So next time you're listening to me do my little opening spiel that you've heard already like 50 times you know, before, instead of listening to it, you could be going to your podcast platform and leaving a review. Also... No, there is no also. That's all. I, that's all I'm going to mention now. We're going to get right to the. We're going to get right to the discussion. And so I made the mistake when you first walked in today. I slipped into American mode and called you called you Adrian. So, which is not really the correct pronunciation. But is that what you hear most of the time? Yes. When yes, you hear uh, people, I kind of gave up on the. Well, the normal pronunciation, I guess, uh, right. or the original one, and I just go by. And you just Adrian. go by Adrian. Yeah, yeah, so, so I'm always curious to ask people who originate in other languages. So, when we say like Adrian, like what does that sound like? Like you get used to it. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. But when, but if you're just like if you're like fresh out of Argentina and and which is where you're from. Yeah, no, and, I, I even struggled to pronounce it properly myself. <laughs> so, so yeah, I was. Uh, could, could, we I, roll the R and we say Adrian. Uh, Adrian, yeah. So, yeah. so yeah, I asked somebody that one time. I forget where he, I forget who was where he was from, but I said, "So what does it sound like when we say that?" And he said, "Well, we can understand what you're saying, but you sound like a little kid that's about four years old." <laughs> so that's, that's why I called my son Mateo. 
Mateo. Uh, yeah. Mateo, Mateo, but it's closer. Yeah. 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 Enough. Right, right. So, and, and he was born here? Yes. yes. Okay. So yeah. he'll, he won't have the, as much of a, of a gear shifting <laughs> exercise. Although so, I have to say one time we were at the airport and we were checking passport and the woman said, Who is Meisho? We were looking. <laughs> oh no! It's <laughs> we look around. It's like no, just us. But <laughs> so, so all right. So this is a little bit of a tangent. But you know, if you're an American and you do a lot of travel, as I used to do, especially in Europe or other places in South America, where where there's a lot more countries and they're all closer together, right? So people are really accustomed to hearing other languages. They learn to speak. You know, most people in Europe know how to speak languages besides just their own. Yes. And so so we seem sort of foolish here because we're just so kind of unaware of any languages other than ours. This is changing a little bit because, especially in Houston, because with the oil and gas industry, you got so much diversity right. of people coming from. But, but, you know, but then you have to remember that like a large part of the United States is made up. There's people who live like somebody who lives in Indiana like you have to travel a pretty good distance, right? Before you start bumping into people who are speaking other languages. So yes. I don't think we mean to be that way. I think it's just that it's such a large, you know, like if you went into like the middle of Siberia, you're probably only going to find people who, who know, right? Yes. Right? Because yes. you just don't have the connection points. So I think I think we don't mean to sound dumb in that regard, but we do sometimes. <laughs> it's really bad. <laughs> So, all right. So you are from you are from Argentina. Argentina. Originally. Yes. How, how long? Oh, wait. And I gotta I gotta go back to this because I always like to do a little homework on people before they come in. Usually, I do it thirty seconds before you get here. And there's a thing back in there about like biomedical engineering. That's so, right, yeah. so that's like, so that's almost like the oil and gas business. So, <laughs> so how did so you started out with an interest in in engineering, right? But but biomedical. Yeah, yeah, it was engineering applied to to medical sciences, to biology, physi physiology, right. and all that. But well, one of the cyclical crises is in Argentina. I finished university. There wasn't any any work, so I looked for opportunities to to do a master's. Yeah, and yeah. it's funny how that works. In, Most master's degrees are created because because <laughs> there's no jobs. Yeah, so fun <laughs> opportunity in Canada wasn't exactly biomedical engineer, but was using sensors and yeah. acquiring data, modifying that, conditioning, and producing uh, something of value. Right. So instead of well, I moved from biomedical to working with the uh, gyroscopes related to measurement while drilling. Right. And, and Kind of uh, decided to to make the switch, yeah, yeah, and it just uh, kind of drop all the my knowledge on some aspect and well keep some of the other ones, and yeah. Kept going with a new new okay. field. So, do you ever think about about switching back? Is that uh, when like come on? So when crude was at like twenty three dollars or eighteen dollars, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was, you had to be thinking about <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah, time to give you some second thought. Yeah, 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 cool. So <laughs> last year I got so many messages like on LinkedIn from people who would say, so I've been in the oil and gas industry for however many years, right? And, you know, things like I'm a geophysicist, but I'm thinking about getting into cloud computing, you know, or something because, hey. you know, and, and who would have ever thought that, you know, I mean, all the work that you put in to, be, to learn to be a geophysicist, right? And you go, well, maybe I should get into this cloud computing stuff. Yeah, no, no, it make you think, really. Yeah, 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 exactly. So, okay, so, and you mentioned university, and this is the university, so 
my Spanish got me as far as understanding that it's something like between rivers, right? Yeah. yeah. So there's rivers. Entre rios. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and, so it's right. So that's the. Is it just the school? That's no. Yeah. That's uh, the name of uh, of the province and this uh, the university, the national university of that province in Argentina. Yeah. So. Yeah. Okay. It sounds. I mean, it sounds beautiful. Sounds, yeah. No. Yeah, it was, it a, sounds it was pretty, a good time. Yeah, pretty, yeah. Well. Also, I guess it kind of does it keep you. I mean, maybe we should put rivers around all of our universities because it would sort of keep people from getting very far if, you know, things got out of hand. You can keep it. Like, if the party gets too crazy, you can keep it contained because they can only go so far as the river, right? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. And I think this province is connected by a tunnel and three bridges to, to the rest of the, of the <laughs> land, right? So, yeah. You, the, the land, so well, a, I guess you can take a boat, but yeah, yeah. that car is not that easy to... Right, right. Yeah. Good. Okay, so... All right, so let's fast. So you got your, I didn't really mean for this to be like a biopic piece, but you just had some some interesting things in your background. So so you ended up in the oil and gas business and you've been with Gyrodata for- 17 and, years. And we had a little discussion in our little warm up here today about whether we should call it Eurodata or Gyrodata because Euro does invoke the food, which yeah, yeah, I yeah. think creates like a desirable effect from a branding standpoint. But, but, the, the, but the name come from the word gyroscope. Gyroscope, right. right we we so. would never say gyroscope. But you've been with Gyrodata for a long time. Yeah, right? yes, 17 Seven, years. Se 17 years. So, and that's here? Yes. Yeah. yes. By the way, you know, I, for, I see there was something else. Remember when I said, no, there is nothing else in the introduction? We are here in Houston at the Fabulous Cannon over here on the west side where we record a lot of podcasts and it's a great place. And if you've never been here, you need to come check it out because there's people working here. And if you're tired of your dog staring at you while you're working or, or trying to keep that Zoom call quiet, this is a great place to come. But what we discovered was that you're... So we both drove over here to the Cannon. That's kind of on the due west side of Houston. But we both came from like where my house is and where your office is is both in a, in a different area. But you've been out there since you said, I think you said what, it's about 10 years or something. I think like that, we right? moved there in 2011. Actually, our office used to be near here, probably two miles from this place. Oh, right. So we started in, in that place in 1980. Yeah. And we were there until, I think, 2011. Right. Now you're out in the... In the cheap seats, though, about where I live. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, yeah. No, there's some great there's some great properties out there for, for, for that kind of stuff. So tell us, like, before we get into the really cool stuff, what does gyro data, like, broadly, what is gyro data all about? Because I forgot to mention, we have a very diverse audience, and so people come from kind of all the different disciplines in oil and gas. So let's kind of help people get oriented as to what, what part of the business are we talking about. Yeah, yeah. Here. What we do is wellbore surveying. So basically, you drill a well, you need to know the direction you are drilling, how deep you are drilling. So you know the surface, you can measure that with the GPS. And then, well, there is no GPS for once you go downhole, no. you lose the signal. Right. So you need the means to, to measure the direction and, and the well path. And so that's basically what we do with this measurement. We have a during the drilling process or post-drilling measurements of the trajectory. So it sounds pretty easy. I yeah. mean, you built a whole company? No. So t tell us about, actually, it makes me think of a funny story. I have a, an old friend who's a geologist who was, you know, he graduated, I think, in the 70s. And he always worked for small operators because he liked to be involved in the whole process, right? Like he liked to go out there and, and work with the crew and everything. And we, I was sitting on his back porch one day, like we were just sitting out, you know, Sunday afternoon, like rum and cigars. And all of a sudden he gets a phone call 
and he goes, and we're so here we are in Houston, and he says, I gotta go. I'm like, well, you gotta go where? He said, Well, I gotta go up to Nacogdoches, which is up in East Texas, right, with the gas wells up there. And he said, so he he had to so he had to leave. He just got in the car. It's about it's about three hours away. And when he got back, you know, a couple of days later, I said, well, what happened? And he said, well, the crew realized that they were going horizontal. They'd gone about a mile or a mile and a half, and they were going 180 degrees in the opposite direction, 180 <laughs> degrees opposite of the direction that they were supposed to be. And they were now on somebody else's lease. And it was a major, this is a family show, because I can't say exactly what sort of a moment it was, but it was that kind of a moment. And so is that, so presumably, had you been involved, this you could have headed off this catastrophe, right? You could have prevented this, yes, this yes, from happening. Yes, if you measure correctly, right? that should never happen. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> so, like, I'm imagining somebody with a map, and it's like, right? Like, the road, like, we looked at the map upside down. Okay, so what goes into this whole business of knowing what's what you're doing down there? Yeah, I know the issue, and that tend to happen because you don't know, right? You measure, and there is no feedback or anything that you can see from the surface. Well, sometimes you see the drill bit coming at the surface and unintentionally and that does that ha that happens that, ha that actually happens yeah, yeah. but no hopefully not like in somebody's living room right <laughs> like, it doesn't just pop into somebody's house but yeah in, Oops, sorry, <laughs> sorry it's okay <laughs> in general and yeah you, you need to to measure obviously you want to hit the reservoir you want to make money you drill after yeah. all to, to get that and not to steal some your neighbors right oil and gas but it's a very narrow I mean, there are times when they're steering these wells in a very narrow space, right? You've really only yes, got a couple yeah. of feet in either direction that you're trying to... Yeah, yeah. And, and depending on, on the formation, the project, the field, you may have wells left and right and up and down, and you cannot drill into those producing wells because then you have a blow up. Yeah. So right. you have the issue of dry, drilling a dry well, which is not... Nobody likes that, right? Yeah, 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 but also you have the possibility into well catastrophe really if you drill in the wrong place or too soon or you are not expected right. to hit the reservoir or right. Like that. So is this? Are you guys mostly involved with the unconventionals? Is that kind of is that your sweet spot, or are you working with, across all the? No, we've been. I mean, we've been working much before the unconventional were developed, and now we do work in the unconventional. We do work on land, offshore. I mean, anywhere that there is a directional drilling, we are involved. Right. Right. Okay. So, so before we were in our little warm up here, where where Stephen was chiming in. And we're talking about the evolution of, and this is an interesting thing for me because on this show, a lot of times I like to talk about like the history of, because, you know, people are always, especially if you're more active, like in like the digital and computing world, people are always dinging the oil and gas industry for being behind the times with technology, right? But really we've been innovating all kinds of technology for a really long time. So so anything historical is always is always kind of fun to look at. And we were talking before about how you had you had ways of like in the earlier days, you had ways of doing some of the stuff that you're doing. Right. And then that's and then, you know, just kind of like we used to have like tubes in our radios and then we got rid of the tubes and we put transistors and things. So what's that little what's the little history lesson there as far as how this has been evolving yeah, over yeah. the last few years? Yeah. To be fair, there was a bit of true on that. On the at least for for us, I mean, the, the sensors that we are using or we were using, we still have tools with that technology. What we call spinning mass gyroscopes with the tubes, no, the tubes, <laughs> with the vacuum not tubes. The tube, but uh, <laughs> these no. gyroscopes thing were first designed in the fifties and sixties. Uh, yeah, and then we 
well, we have done modifications to them. We have adapted them for the for the environment that we needed. Right. But yeah, the, well, there was a lot of old technology, and I think many of the guys that were working on that have well, well passed I, away, and we, it's hard to find experts now on that yeah, technology. Sure. But right. but we have made the, the transition when we did that. It started. Well, it was a long process. I think we launched our first tool in 2017 or 18 yep. with the solid state technology. So now it's, well, it's like an electronic chip, right. but uh, it still measures the same. We measure the earth rotation to determine the, the orientation of the, of the probe or the drill bit. But instead of having basically a spinning top with electronics and all that, that we now have a solid state chip that we just power and get the, this rotation rate as an output. So, right. So you're a lot less subject to all the variations and the, well, why, so why is that better? Like what was, what? Well, there, there were, yeah, it's a, it's a very large list, but the, <laughs> <laughs> from the, the well, obsolescence of the components, the yeah. time for, for this, these sensors can be very accurate, the spinning mass, but you need to spin it at the right speed, keep the temperature stable. So that takes time. It takes a lot of power and a lot of complexity with the with electronics to produce right. The, the right signals and conditioning and all that. So with this new technology, we have a well, save time, save battery, make it much simpler, shorter. We can put it in many places on the BHA it has been really... Right. So this whole notion of something solid state replacing the gyroscope is relatively new, right? Yes, I mean, that's, yeah, that's very yeah. innovative. By the way, the reason why I went to the radios with the vacuum tubes is because the first thing back in olden times when I was a kid, the first thing I remember seeing the word solid state on was not a solid state hard drive. It was, it was a radio. It was a little radio, right? Transistor. Like a transistor radio. Yeah, yeah, and, it, that's right. and, it, and they always had that little plastic thing on the, you know, it said solid state. And we knew that that was good. We had no idea why, <laughs> but before then you couldn't have a radio that would fit in your pocket because, you know, it would, it would have been too big. But, but so this is new, so we can maybe get a little bit geeky on this. So I think we're all familiar with the concept of like a gyroscope is spinning, right? And it's, yeah. and it can sense like the movement of the earth, I guess, right? And right. it can, but okay, now that you don't have something spinning anymore, you have something that's just a, well, an electronic yeah. circuit. How's it, a, how does it work? Yeah, instead of spinning, what, what it does is vibrating at a very high speed. has okay. a semiconductor that is the order of the, of the magnitude of the vibration is very mo small in the nanometer. So it's not something that you can see, but it's vibrating at high frequency. And when, it's, when you turn this device, this vibration changes. Right. And you can, well get that signal and extract that with the proper electronics and you can get an idea of how much is the, the rotation. Got yeah. So is this so is this what they have inside an iPhone then? Is it kind of like the same thing? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, and it's the same thing that you have in for example in your car for your traction control and ABS. Right. So there are different I mean there are gyros now everywhere, but the quality that we needed was I think the, the solid state gyros have been out for for a few decades now, but we measure the earth rotation, which is a fraction of 15 degrees per hour. It's a very yeah. small it's tiny. number. Yeah. yeah. In your car, you probably measure in RPMs in several right. hundred, right? So it's a different level of accuracy. Right. Or like I have this screwdriver, this electric screwdriver, and right. all you have to do is you just turn your wrist and it knows that you're turning your wrist and it 
and it spins, right? And like the faster you turn your wrist, the fa- and then if you go the other way, it spins the other way. So I always, but it's funny because, so we've been using this term gyro all this yeah. time, but I guess it's been a while since we were putting little spinning tops inside these devices. That hasn't, that's not really, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah we're, we're using these other things. So now even when I joined the company in 2004, my first project was to evaluate some of the gyros that were, well, ready yeah. off the shelf and, and they were not accurate enough for, for what we needed. But it's, you can still measure some other right. type of... So that's the difference is your, the level of accuracy. All right, so let's frame this up in terms of like an operational problem. So let's say, all right, so let's create like a, a scenario. So who would be the person out there in a field operation that would be very excited? So let's say my boss just came to me and said, guess what? We got rid of all that other stuff. We got the, we got the good stuff from gyro data now. And now I'm very excited. So, like, who is that person that's getting very excited about this? Well, I think we have a few different scenarios in which it makes sense to, to run a gyro and you will get a great benefit. Right. If you are drilling usually on the top hole and you have a pad, for example, or, or several wells, the alternative to a gyro to measure is a magnetometer, right? But when you have a casing surrounding your, your measurement tool, then that affects the magnetic field and now you cannot measure the air magnetic field and nor and know where you're going. So that's a typical application for a gyro that is not affected by the magnetic field. Right. And then you can drill these, these wells. What we are doing now with this technology, solid state, is also well, drill, collect data and drill the well and have a, a smaller uncertainty at the end. Because okay. uh, well, all the measurements have errors and there is a lot of science how to this error propagate. And then basically you drill a well, it's 20,000 feet long. And you, depending what instrument you use to measure, you say, well, you have an uncertainty of 200 feet at the end. Right. You can be to the left or to the right. Or you can have an uncertainty of 50 feet or or 800, depending on the measurement instrument. So one of the applications that we are using a lot, these technologies to reduce the, the uncertainty so you can either place more wells or, or, well, be sure that you are in the reservoir. Right. And the- right. Yeah. So that so that's a really good point because reducing uncertainty has always been a big thing in this industry. And it's funny because, and it's a bigger thing now, but whenever the, you know, you're kind of in a crunch time in the industry where we don't all have all the money that we want, cost savings always kind of gets the spotlight, right? Like you could do this do this cheaper, reduce costs, you know, streamline processes. That always gets all the all the press. But this notion of reducing uncertainty, you know, all across and in all different parts of the industry, right? They when you talk about like like subsurface interpretations and reservoir characteristics, like all of this stuff, it all comes with a certain level of uncertainty, at the end of which how much uncertainty you have can have a huge impact on on your business, right? And so so reducing cost is one thing, but one, or I guess one big way to reduce cost is to reduce uncertainty, which reduces risks, which minimizes the potential that you've done the wrong thing or made the wrong decision or ended up in the wrong place. Yeah, yeah. You right? may end up uh, evaluating a reservoir based on a number of exploration wells or one, and, and you may, if you place that in the wrong place and even, right. hit it, yeah, even, yeah. even hit the reservoir, then you may be leaving a lot of uh, money on the on the ground. So that's another big theme now, right, in the industry, which is everybody everybody talks about the industry being in transition. And another thing is that gets a lot of the spotlight is 
new energy transition. But there's a lot of transition going on in the core business, and that's all about how do we get more value out of the assets we already have instead of constantly having to make new discoveries and find new reserves. So what are some examples of maybe if somebody's using, you know, customers using your stuff, what does this turn into in terms of the business benefits that they can realize that? And I, I assume it's got something to do with, I'm going to get more out of this reservoir because I know exactly what I drilled, right? Yeah, 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 no, How does that turn into dollars? Well, I think that, that, that is a value knowing exactly what it is and, and going back and, and, well, assess the, the reservoir that you have and, and the production. One of the problems that we face is that the oil industry is a bit on two silos and every department have their budget. It's shocking, uh, and so it's shocking the, to know that yes, we have silos. <laughs> so the, well, yeah, the drilling usually, and not to be nasty, but I mean, the, the, drilling, oh, yeah. the drilling guys usually are not too much, they're not too concerned about the production. So their goal no. is to drill the well. Right. So they have a budget and they have a goal and, and uncertainty may be there or maybe not, uh, depending on the company, higher or lower, but until you set everything, complete the well and start the production and evaluate that that was a good well that produced a good return on the investment, it takes a long time. So for us, usually we are hired by the drilling, but our value is more related to, 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 the, to the production. But yeah. we have seen some companies, well, I think with our help, they're working together now to have a production and, and drilling. Um, working together and try to to improve the value of their overall asset and not just to say, well, we yeah. say one day in drilling this well, but what do you do with that well? Yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, it's that way all the way through the whole value chain, right? I mean, you have, that's one of the, when I first started getting involved with, it was early in my career, but I was working with some other industries first and then I, and I was in the consulting world. And so I started getting involved with oil and gas companies. And one of the first things I noticed was that everybody, so you do have all these silos and everybody does their piece of the work and they hand it to the next person. And the degree of quality or accuracy in each person's piece of work never sort of comes back on them. It just, it just keeps flowing down, right? So if I'm interpreting seismic and I get it wrong, like that becomes somebody else's. And, and, and like one of the step. first questions that I asked, cause I, we were working with people in the subsurface world and I said, well, where do you, so, so you're making a lot of money because you're a very smart you know, geoscientist and you should make a lot of money. And this is a very long process and it takes a long time and we've bought all this expensive software for you and all of this, right? But when you hand it off to the next step, you're saying, this is my best guess, <laughs> right? And, if you, and when do we like look at the results, analyze those results and come back and say, you know what, next time you do one of these, you should do this differently because we learned something down the stream, right? Like that learning thing never comes back. So I say all that to get to the point. So do you see that happening? Because if you could create that sort of a learning loop between drill, drilling and production, I think you could you could do a lot of good in the industry, right? Is yeah, that, yeah, is that yeah. what you're seeing happening? Well, some bigher companies, yeah. They, if we keep saying it, more, it'll come true. Yeah, is that I, the, I yeah. hope so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Another way of looking at it is, I mean, you drill a well, how long may it take to drill a well? I mean, depending where you are, if it's an unconventional, conventional, offshore or not, but I don't know, 30 days, uh, well, yeah. uh, and then you're going to produce that for 10, 20 years, but there is a lot of effort to save one day there for one that day, process. Right. And, and even if you have a very small percentage or any, you make things worse a little bit for production, 
if you look at the 10 years, I mean, you don't have to, right. to mess it a lot. And, and you have, well, the return on the investment is just... Yeah. But, well, the, the ROI comes, as you said, it comes later, right? So, yes. so the person running the drilling operation... So who usually introduces you into the picture when you come in? Is it somebody from drilling or is it somebody from production or from executive man or like asset manager who says, we need to get this stuff in here so we do a better job? I think that there's a bit of a mix depending on the company and the condition. And as I said before, I think when there is a collision risk near the top, it's kind of straightforward. It's yes or no and, and yeah. it's not as, as critical. And then when the value requires a more holistic approach and all yeah, that, then yeah. it's usually a, a higher level and it's not just the drilling. Right, right. I got you. So it's interesting. I mean, you could, you know, with all the, if you got to the Permian and they're drilling like one after another, after another, after another, right? If you, I mean, you should be able, in that case, you should be able to see the ROI fairly early, right? Because those wells are only going to produce for a short time anyway, right? Yeah, yeah, I think that there has been some studies on that, on the implication of having the wells close right. to each other and farther apart and, and well, improving the, yeah. the position yeah. and all that. But I think that the consistency and is, is not so easy. And sometimes I'm not an expert on this, obviously, but you may get the, well, over six months is different than over the year, the production and the fracturing and all that is... Right, well, right. I can, <laughs> it gets complicated. I, yeah, I can, I can see your, so our audience isn't seeing your, your nonverbal cues right now, but it was like, uh, <laughs> that's some sticky business right there. We don't really want to get into that. So no, I know it, it's, it's crazy. So, so what if somebody, if somebody wants to, if somebody's listening to this and they go, wow, that sounds, that sounds like what we need. We need to get some of that over here. Like what's the, how, how does somebody go about, how, how do you engage with your customers because I assume this isn't like, you can't just like order up some of these things and they show up and you attach them to your stuff, right? I mean, you've got to help people with this process of implementing these things and, and using them, I would guess, right? Well, we, we, we provide the service. I mean, we, we show up and we do the measurement and then it's like when you hire a land survey. So it's like a turnkey, you- like a whole turnkey service. So. Uh, not necessarily a turnkey, but I mean, we, we provide right. the, the service. We can work together. I mean, we can work together with the drilling company or the NWD. We have partners or, or we can just uh, do the, the whole job. But no, usually it's through, well. Through that, yeah. Yeah, word of mouth and, and just. Yeah. So yeah. so you show up and you you bring all your all this gear with you, right? Yes, yeah. And is it operating throughout the whole drilling period or do you just come in at certain times and take measurements or? Well, yeah, we have a, as a, yeah, I think I mentioned that before that we have the, the two options. We have the, we can measure oh, yeah, yeah. while drilling or, or post drilling. So if it's while drilling, we are part of the BHA. Right. So right. we are connected with the, with the NWD system and the information is sent to the surface and then they, well, project everything, make the well plan and, and use the information to continue drilling. Then we have some other tools that we can drop when you get to the end of the section or the end of the well, you can literally drop the tool inside the drill pipe and the tool is in memory mode and you are measuring while the tool ah, is okay, coming yeah. out of the hole and then well, we take measurements and, and we put all together and, and produce a survey or we have a wall line tool so you can right, run the tool right. in, in wall line. Yeah. 
or we can run it with some other combination. If you have a login tool that you're going to run, we can place our Jaro. Okay, yeah. So there's a lot there. of yeah. 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 It seems like you'd want to do it while you're like showing up after the fact and doing it. Just sounds like it's going to be bad news, right? Yeah, but uh, so sometimes it's a very attractive option because it doesn't take any time. It's uh, away from the drilling. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and you finish, and then you have the whole survey. So sometimes the NWD is good enough to drill the well, and then you just adjust or correct the data at the end, or, or at least verify that the NWD didn't have any gross error or interference or some other QC problem, and then you have the JARO as a definitive survey. So, you know, you could even, <laughs> you could have, the operators could, I mean, with the drilling contractors, you could like build this into the contract, right? That says, okay, we can either, we, you can either work with these guys to take the measurements as, as you go. Like, first of all, like there's a bonus at the end of this contract based on you being where you're supposed to be. So option A is you use the guys from Gyrodata to help you get there. Or option B is we're going to measure it at the end. But either way, you're going to get a bonus based on how close you are. I mean, that, that seems like that would motivate people, right, to, to do it to do it up front and, and maybe make a little extra room in their schedule to, yeah, no, but, to yeah, do it the right way. Yeah, as you said, I mean, the real time is a, it's a more it's attractive, better, or at yeah. least if you get to, to one section or intermediate section, you can run a, a drop there and at least right. do a correction and maybe do while drilling from the rest or right. something like that. It depends on the on the budget and yeah. the, the goals of the, the specific well. Right? Well, that's the thing. So if I'm the drilling contractor and I get paid the same, whether I'm like within 200 feet or whether I'm within 20 feet, then I don't really want your stuff coming in to add complexity to my operation. But if I'm the drilling contractor and I'm going to get paid more if I'm closer, then maybe I'll be a little bit more open to the intrusion, right, yeah. along the way. So Another yeah. aspect that is, well, always there, that you have the... Most wells are drilled with the, what is called the NWD, right? The, right, right. Uh, you have a magnetic sensor, and now you have a, a different measurement. And now you are comparing two, and which one which is one right. Which one is right, yeah. And yeah, to what sure. point one is a failure or is within the expectation. And then when, when yeah. you are telling, well, the other contractor that, yeah, there is something wrong with your tool. And so now it's yeah. another. <laughs> now, yeah, 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 yes. <laughs> Yeah, I could see where you could be in. That's why you gave me that look when I started talking about the permit, because I can imagine the fights that would happen there. Yeah, most people that are, well, they understand all the nuances and all that and are happy to have two measurements and they see the value even if they don't match. They know, well, it's somewhere in there and this at least is the spread I can expect yep. and all that. And some other, it's just, I got two, now I don't know where my well is. I don't want to see you guys anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, it's a bit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can see where, right. Yeah. As soon as, well, anytime you're in the business of telling people how far off they are from, or, or telling people whether they got it right or not, then you always run the risk of these yes, sorts yes. of those little battles. Okay. So, so this is cool. I'm looking at the time. We're getting kind of at the, we're kind of getting toward the end of the attention span. So we don't want people to <laughs> we don't want people to change the channel. But if they want to know more about what you guys are doing, and we'll put all this in the we always put this in the show notes. But where can people look to find out more about the technology, about this part of the business, about what you guys are doing? Yeah, I guess jarodata.com and there is a lot of information in LinkedIn and also the the SPE, the One Petro database. There are a lot of uh, papers there. So I think well, if you just Google Jarodata or Jarodata, Jarodata while yeah, drilling. Yeah. 
should right. be able to, to okay. find enough information and contact. Okay, good. We'll put all that in the show notes. And yeah, thank you for, for making time and we coming down here. To the, we could have just met at the, there's probably no, this a, is, uh, a- This is fun, no? No, this it's is good. It's a, yeah. it's a great place. We like, yeah, they let us use it and it works out really well. It's a great place. So, Adrian Ledros. Did I get it right? Thank you. Yes. All right. Thank you. Thanks for being here. I just got a couple of more things to say. I'll make it really quick. Thanks. And okay. So thanks again to our sponsor, Cognite. As I mentioned earlier, they are doing some amazing stuff. Check them out, cognite.com. When you think about industrial data and contextual, intuitive, you can, you know, making things so that humans and machines can use it all together, got to check out what they're doing. Also, I got to mention our street team, which is now led by the ever-sleepless and hungry Brian Mon. If you wonder why I call him that, check out his LinkedIn profile. But he's he's our new our new chief of the street team, and they're doing amazing things, so I hear. And so look for that LinkedIn group. You can get involved there. You can also connect with OGGN on our website and get on the mailing list and find out about all the cool events we have going on. We got we were just talking about this earlier. We got We got new podcasts. We got new live streams. We're getting back into the live event business again, which is kind of fun. So you can find out about all of that there. Yes. And there's this guy that writes, we got a new section on the website called perspectives, perspectives, perspective. And so, so Steven is there writing some great, so you're taking, you're taking stories from the podcast guests and, and writing kind of the backstory on the people, which sometimes is really cool. So we got that going on and that's probably it for now. As always, big thanks to our audio wizard, Mr. Emin Fikic in the magical land of Bosnia. He's the one who makes us all sound good and he takes out all the parts that you're not supposed to hear. So, and he does it for all the podcasts. So he's a very busy person and I don't know what we would do without him. That's it for today. And now we have Savannah who is going to tell you about the events on deck. Hey everybody, it's Savannah from OGGN and here are the events on deck for April, 2021. This month we have three events, but if you'd like the full list, you can click the link in the show notes to sign up for our events newsletter. We send it out every month and it includes more info about the events I talk about here. We even include events that occur two months ahead of time. So if you're interested in always staying in the loop about oil and gas events, make sure to check that out. First up, we have our in-person event, which is the Spring Pitch Party focused on clean tech. It'll be hosted at the Canon on April 6th. Next, we have our two online events, the University of Houston PES Career Fair on April 8th and the CSPG GeoWomen eTalk on April 20th. Other than these events, OGGN may be hosting some more live streams this month, so make sure to check out our Facebook, LinkedIn, or OGGN.com for more information about any of the live streams or events we have coming up. If you have any questions about these events or any of our shows, make sure to reach out to me through my email in the show notes. That's all for April. I hope you guys have a great month and thanks for tuning in. Check us out next week for another entertaining and yet useful episode of Oil & Gas Tech Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com. (laughs) 